been a long week for me. <laughs> I don't know how all you feel about it. Not that I'm counting, but this is day 11. <laughs> it's good to see so many people here this morning and be a part of this congregation. When Clark and I lived on the Navajo Reservation, we were, lived in a small town called Chilchimbato. The town had an elementary school, a clinic, and a community center. We were the only Anglos living on the compound, although there were three or four other Anglos who lived on the teacher's compound that was nearby. Most of the Navajo in our community did not speak English, so we had to have someone interpret for us when they came to see us. The closest store or gas station was 23 miles down the road, and our home was situated right between the community center and the clinic. It was one of the few homes on the area that had electricity and running water and a telephone. The community center that we were next to had a well. So people would come up in their pickup trucks and fill large tanks with water in order to take it home. And if they needed electricity for their inhaler treatments, or if they needed to make a phone call, they would come to our house. It was a rare day that we didn't have someone calling on us. So one thing that happened, oh wait, sorry. When I moved to this house, I soon found that I was living in a foreign culture where I didn't know the rules and I didn't know the habits. So one of the things that happened was that when people needed to see us, they would drive up near our home, they would park their truck, and then they would honk their horn. I couldn't imagine what they thought they were doing honking their horn at me. We were not living in New York City, where I was used to horn honking, and it became a bit of a standoff. I refused to go to the car when someone honked their horn at me. So when people started to realize that I was not going to come and answer them when they honked their horn, they began to knock on the door, which is what I was hoping they would do. But by the time I got to the door and opened it, they had run back to their truck and they were sitting in their truck waiting for me. <laughs> so this became one of those minor battles. You know, I was going to be victorious in this fight. I knew it was just good manners to politely knock on a door and wait for someone to answer it. So I would stand in the door patiently, maybe tapping my foot in a very patient way. <laughs> and I would wait till they came back out of their truck and came over to the door to speak to me. Now another habit I have is that I like to read mystery novels. And my favorite ones, <clears throat> excuse me, are those set in a country or a culture that is in a different place because they'll often tell stories and habits about people in a way that lets me know about them in a way I wouldn't get just from reading a, a tourist book or a um, history. So at the time, I was reading the Tony Hillerman novels. How many people here know the Tony Hillerman novels? Yeah, there we go. Those are set on the Navajo reservation, and some of them are actually set in the village we lived in. <clears throat> and it was one of those novels I read about the habits of the traditional way of visiting people on the Navajo reservation. So the Navajo live in small compounds with family members, and if you visit another family compound, 
you must wait until you are invited. So traditionally, you ride your horse or you drive your truck close to the compound, and then you sit and wait for someone to come to the door. If the family, this gives the family time to get ready, and it gets them time to decide if they're going to welcome you. If you follow traditional rules of behavior, you never go to the door unless they have opened it first to let you know that you can approach them. So as I read this mystery novel, I had one of those moments where I was confronted with my own lack of awareness to the culture I was existing in. People were honking their horn because I was not aware enough of my surroundings to know when someone had driven up to the compound. My expectation of knocking on the door was a violation of their sense of respect and privacy. So my definition of polite behavior was in contrast to theirs. I'd like to say this is the only time in my life that I have not understood what's going on and that I have sort of dominated it, that my normal behavior is the preferred behavior, although that's not true. But I think over time I have learned to come into new communities with an open curiosity, with a willingness to learn and appreciate the challenges to what I consider normal behavior. So this week I've been here exploring North Lake UU Church to learn what is your normal behavior. <laughs> this congregation has its own unique culture and it's created through shared experiences, beliefs, and habits. I thought I would share this morning some of the things that I have heard this week. First, there's a real energy here. There's a commitment to be involved in the work of creating a place where there are connections and friendships. People in this congregation are active and engaged in the work. Second, there is a drive to make this a place where healthy, nourishing relationships flourish. And so the hard work of being in honest, direct communication has been a priority. This congregation has developed a covenant, a promise to each other about how to be in relationship with each other. This is more than a document. It's a living covenant that everyone is expected to know and to reflect on. This has led to an understanding that conflict and disagreements will happen, but they can be met head on without avoidance because there's a covenant to call all back into relationship. The third thing I learned is that there's an eagerness to be involved in hands-on projects that create bonds and pride. This was demonstrated when the chapel was moved to this property and then renovated, taking huge amounts of effort, finances, time, and commitment. This was demonstrated in the building of the tiny house here last summer. This is demonstrated by the people who paint the deck, weed the gardens, mow the lawns, volunteer in the children's program, run the audio-visual systems, visit the detention centers, cook soup lunch, attend board meetings, attend team meetings, help run the worship service, visit members who are ill or bereaved, install dishwashers, and grow fresh vegetables for the food pantry. 
This is a well-educated congregation that has a wealth of experience. 42 of the members in this congregation have a bachelor's degree. 42 of the members of this congregation have a master's degree. And 14% of the members of this congregation have the equivalent of a doctorate. So 98% of this congregation have a post-high school degree. Compare that to the overall United States, which is 30% of a post-high school degree, although the Seattle area has a 60% uh, post-high school degree. I have met people who are mechanical and electric engineers, military professionals, people who have traveled around the world, people with children and those living in retirement homes, folk who have lived here all their lives, and some who moved there re here recently when their homes were destroyed. I have met people raised in Canada, Mexico, Namibia, India, and Luxembourg. I have met folk who are raised Unitarian Universalists, and others from Hindu, Buddhist, Jewish, Protestant, Catholic, and earth-based backgrounds. There's a wealth of experience that people in this congregation offer. This congregation is becoming aware of the abundance of the resources here. The strain of past property and building projects generated some anxiety with an underlying fear that the congregation might not have the resources to survive. But this has shifted in the last few years, and there's a growing appreciation for just what this congregation holds. Not only are you willing to offer your time to projects and volunteer your expertise, but people give financial support to keep this congregation growing. 45% of the members of this congregation live within the top 10% of the income bracket. As you grow and feel more secure with your abundant resources, generosity will become a growing part of this culture. And finally, I learned that this congregation is living into your vision of how to be welcoming, truly asserting our UU principles and sources that honor a free and independent search for truth and meaning. This campus is shared by those of the Zoroastrian faith, Jewish tradition, Baptist denomination, and Buddhist practices. This congregation values interfaith collaboration and participates in social and religious events that foster collaboration and connection. You have created a community space for those often marginalized by the dominant culture. That wasn't the final one, I've got one more. You place great value in this close community. And there's a sense of belonging found in both the casual and the close friendships here that's palpable when you walk into the building. So what have I learned about what you're hoping for? What are your dreams and aspirations for the next few years? Some of the things I heard this week include these. A desire to focus efforts on and projects so that you become known for your dedication and commitment to social justice. There's a recognition of the need to update your strategic plan so that you have a vision and common agreement about what you hope to look like five years from now.
living into being a progressive community. There is a willingness to continue to evaluate and change the music, education, worship, social justice, and community activities to assure you are embracing the margins and responding to the world we live within. There is a recognition of the need to evaluate and strengthen systems of communication so that there's transparency in how the church operates, fewer miscommunications, and better collaboration among the teams and organizations that operate on this campus. There's a hope, there's a big hope, that you can find a way to meet the needs of teenagers and young adults, to support them on their quest for spiritual grounding and community connection. This hope is expressed often, and it's coupled with a recognition that this may require a shift in the way religion is done and the understanding that right now, you don't know what this requires or what this looks like. And there is hope for a thoughtful, strategic way to increase the size of the membership in order to support the scope of your vision while retaining the spirit of community and love that underlies all that you do. I've explored who you are and what you desire. So what do I hope for? Much of what I dream is summed up by Marge Percy, who writes, the people I love best jump into work headfirst without dallying in the shallows and swim off with sure strokes almost out of sight. They seem to become natives of that element, the black sleek heads of seals bouncing like half submerged balls. I love people who harness themselves, an ox to a heavy cart, who pull like water buffalo with massive patience, who strain in the mud and the muck to move things forward, who do what has to be done again and again. I want to be with people who submerge in the task. Here is what I hope for the congregation I long to be part of. I want to be part of a congregation committed to creating healthy, loving community. Those who come into covenant with each other, people who recognize there will be conflict but remain in relationship, who don't retreat from the uncomfortable and often threatening work of being an honest, open, and yet nurturing communication. I want to be part of a community of people open to exploring how to be religious in this world people who are open to a spiritual experience that quickens something inside of them and deepens their life through a song, a meditation, a prayer, a practice, or just an active moment. I am hoping for a congregation committed to the hard work of creating a beloved community, such as what Martin Luther King Jr. envisioned, one that will do the work of addressing poverty, racism, militarism and environmental crisis in practical and idealistic ways. I am looking for a community of people who have energy. I want to be part of the willingness to get involved, exploring how to live into our dreams and our covenants together. And so here we are. Northlake has spent two years doing surveys and cottage meetings and discussions and meetings 
and discussions and meetings and discussions. Defining the culture that exists here, identifying the dreams of what you might do and exploring who you might be. You have opened your door and welcome. I have spent the last five years living into my curiosity about how I could use my passions, my experience, and my skills. Today, I have a vision of crossing over the threshold into this welcoming home. Blessed be.